Hey there, thanks for visiting the podcast of the Guelph Vineyard Church. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our podcast using whatever platform you listen on, or visit our website at guelphvineyard.com. Here's this week's message brought to you by our pastor, Chris McQueen. By way of introduction, this morning's topic is one that's very dear to my heart. Um, And it's not because I'm a big social justice warrior, I wish that I was. I aspire to be. Like I, you know, that's a. There's a lot of injustice in the world, and there's a lot of crazy things that are going on. That command our attention for sure. But the tact that I want to take with this particular subject this morning is uh, is one that cuts a little bit closer to to the bone for me. Uh, and it's actually uh, the topic of of fairness. When I think of justice, often that tends to be one of the first places that that we can go um, for measuring whether something is is just or not. Right? It's the first thing is it is it fair? How many of you guys know what it's like for something to happen in, in life and it's not fair? I think this is a this is this is our universal human experience. Right, it's it's not fair, and the thing is, is that as an experience, as an emotion and a sensation, it, I mean, this baby scales, right? I feel a lack of fairness if I don't get an adequate number of pieces of pizza out of a pizza pie. My fairness button gets triggered, right? But it's the same thing that's resonating, that rages, that breaks my, my heart, or our hearts, let's say, when we hear about the unfairness of like children who are pulled, ripped from their families and put into uh, um, uh, armies, and our children's soldiers. That, on some level, the outrage, it comes from a sense of like, that is so unfair what's being taken from those kids. It scales, right? And the thing is, if we were to go around and, like if I was to say, okay, everyone, let's see if we have any praise stories from this week. Look around the room. We might have a couple, right? What's God doing or whatever. If we were to do the same and say, does anyone have any stories about like experiencing unfairness this week? I think that we would have a stronger response to that. Is that a fair assumption? Does anyone disagree with that? As a <laughs> and if we did that, if we walked around and we told all the stories of unfairness that are going on in our lives, I am certain that we would leave with a common emotion. And that emotion, I think, would be anger. I would get, we get angry at at. We get angry at unfairness. And, you know, and I, I've been thinking about that because the word justice, it's a funny one. It gets thrown around so much. It's, it's definitely in buzzword territory, right? Um, you know, in, within the vineyard context, I can tell you internationally, nationally in Canada, throughout the U.S., justice conferences are happening all the time where we're looking, trying to see what we can do, what we can give attention to, how we can make a difference. 
right? And they're very real conversations. They're very real things that are going on. Um, you know, the church that I uh, that was very formative for me in, in Winnipeg uh, as an adult. You know, their tagline was the worship and justice kiss. That was something that was central. They were trying to hold those two things together. You know, now the running joke between the worship community and the justice community was, we're not sure if worship and justice are even talking sometimes, let alone kissing. You know, <laughs> um, I think that's on tape. I, I don't think I'm going to get flack for that. Um, but uh, by the way, say a prayer, uh, if you will, for, for me next weekend. I'm actually in Winnipeg. We're running an Imaginarium conference out there, and uh, which is super excited about. But the community's just still really hurting from some of the uh, experiences that they've had there with just some pastoral indiscretions really would be the word for it. So just be praying for them. Um, but anyway, you know, this is important stuff. But the word does, it gets thrown around so much. And whenever that happens, we need to stop and try to understand what we're talking about. If I say we're going to teach a a Sunday on justice and the cross, it's important that we have an idea of what we're talking about. Because justice has come to mean a lot of different things. Um, who's, Who's familiar with Lady Justice as an image? Is anyone? Yeah, the statue. Okay, so... There are three kind of attributes of the statue of Lady Justice. Anybody can name a couple of them? Blindfolded, scales, sword. Yeah. So there's these three different, three different elements. It comes out of kind of the Greco-Roman world, right? And um, and she, like a, a, a goddess, sort of from within that tradition who has come to represent the values that we build our sense of societal justice. So systemic justice, which is to say our laws. It's the way we function. We've, we kind of built on this. And so these three symbols, they mean something, right? The scales refer to a weighing of balances, right? Here we get into the sense of fairness, we, you know, what's right, what's wrong, you know, and there's a, there's a sense of balance that's in here. Blindness is the one that um, suggests that the law applies to everybody. It's not a respecter of persons, right? It shouldn't matter the color of your skin or the stature of, you know, of what your name carries. And the sword represents authority, right? Particularly in the ancient world, this carried a sense of Finality. There's a, there's an authority that exists within the structure, and so I want to say two things. One is that I I actually think that in terms of the land that we live in, I, I value the, I actually value that definition of of justice because it has actually done pretty good in a lot of ways. When those things are in practice, we we. We lean towards a more just society, a fairer society, a just and fair society. Does anyone want one of those? I'm I'm down with that. So I want to make sure that you don't hear that I'm slagging on that or like sort of saying that that's not a good thing. That's a great development in within the within kind of our broken human systems. Um, but I do want to suggest that it's not helpful in our understanding of what God means when God speaks about justice. I'm not sure 
that that's the thing. And I, I believe that sometimes we get into a quagmire, we get into mud when we look at our lives and we try to put it through the, what I'm going to call the fairness metric, right? Is this fair? Is this not fair? My experience of life is thus, and so their experience of life is that. They clearly have experienced blessing. I've experienced nothing but loss and sorrow. You know, they're rich. I'm poor. Like when we try to jam the gospel in through that thing and and try to get the gospel of Jesus to line up with Lady um, uh, Justice, thank you, we run into all kinds of trouble and we get mad. We get angry. We get so angry. Right? Sometimes we get angry with God. And I'm not here to say that it's wrong to get angry with God. I think that David did it. You know, I, I, I don't know that it's a place for us to land and stay, but sometimes it's a place we need to go in order to air out our things and have an honest conversation with the maker of the universe. That's okay. But it does come from somewhere, and I think it comes from this. It's not fair. Right? And here's something that I think is really important for us to think about as we approach the cross, as we try to understand what it means for us that Jesus was crucified, that he died on a cross, it's that we're not going to find a fair life on the other side of, of our encounter. Which it, it's not like suddenly everything becomes fair. We know that that's not true, Right? We still lose people to cancer. We still have bad things that happen to us. The world is still a painful place. So what happens? What's going on? Does the cross have anything to say about justice? I believe that it does. Um, I I just want to, before I move on to to my next point, one of the reasons why I think that this is so important and why I want to really get personal about it through this lens of it's not fair, it's just, and I'm not able to pull like a text proof, you know, out of out of the Bible for this one. It's just kind of my a lived experience thing. You know, I make my worst decisions when I've been wronged. Like, if I feel something is unfair my justification part of my brain just kicks into high gear and I can justify any kind, not any kind of activity, but I can justify a whole lot of things that are not helpful. Right? And I would really love to encounter the justice that the cross brings into this world in that place. So it's just a personal thing, but I suspect that I'm not alone. I suspect that when you feel wronged, that there's an empowerment that happens to a beast inside that starts to make really poor decisions for my for yourself and for others. That's my that's my experience. The crazy thing, where we start to turn the corner a little bit, there's a difference between the way Jesus processes unfairness and injustice and the way that I do, the way that Chris does. So for me, when I encounter injustice, I have to wrestle against my inner kick their butt person, right? And I often fail. I often make poor decisions in that space. I may, I'd like to think I make better decisions than I used to, 
but I still sin. Um, but in Jesus, in God, we find the exact opposite thing. We found the exact opposite response. When Jesus encounters radical unfairness, he responds with the most right action imaginable, the most right response imaginable. And I want to know what that is. Because Lady Liberty does not allow me to get to that spot. Right? I've sometimes thought that that the that Jesus' action on the crucifixion was the most wrong thing that ever happened. Right? The most unjust thing that could possibly happen. The sinless Son of God, completely incarnate. When you see me, you've seen the Father. Has come to invite us into his kingdom. He ends up being unjustly accused. Even the ruling governor tries to find a way out for him. Right? And the people choose an actual murderer to be released instead of Jesus. And then they don't just, they, the crowd doesn't just say execute him. They don't say punish him. They say crucify him. And by they, I mean we. We are kidding ourselves if we think that we would write a different story had we been there. Right? So let's say we say crucify him. And then we do. Right? The scripture, particularly in, in Romans 5, which is super dense as a passage, it's like you kind of have to be a lawyer, and I don't want to get into that space here this morning where we parse out. Like there is, there is a meticulous exchange that takes place, in, but we've been debating. Something, sure, transacted. You know, but Paul in Romans 5, I think it's verse 6. Somebody notes somewhere, but I can't find it right now. I think it's verse 6. says, like, in just, at just the right time, Jesus came. Right? Some translations would say in the fullness of time. Some just say at the right time, he came. And I've wondered what that, what that means. But I, I think that there's something that says that in the in the space of of like an empire that really for the for the first time in a profound way was um, was ruling the like the, uh, let's let's call it the civilized world. I know that gets us into some trouble language wise because there's a bigger world going on at that time. But just work with me in that. It's the largest empire that the world has seen. It's being ruled by an iron fist. It's being governed by the laws. 
It's the peace of Rome that says there will be peace in your land if you do what I say or else, right? And into that space where crucifixion is something that is a, that is a regular occurrence as a deterrent, into that space God chooses to show up and to demonstrate his upside-down kingdom. In the fullness of time, he steps in and and we see this 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 flipping of things and we go it's not right that's the most wrong thing that could have happened except that he chose to do it that's a core part of what we've been talking about in the series the the cross didn't happen to Jesus he happened to the cross he chose it so in that sense, it's the most right thing that he could have done. The most righteous act imaginable was for Jesus to allow himself to be put on that cross. Right? So that, so that what? So that, so that justice could be fulfilled. God is, not, God is, God is perfect. He's, he's perfect. How does how do we pull these things t- together? Right? I just want to talk for a second about the the mechanics of this thing. It's from Romans 5. I just want to touch on it. I encourage you to read the whole chapter slowly at some point with a commentary. <laughs> um, but picking up, it's somewhere around verse, I would say, 17. I've removed my references here from the text that I have, but it's between verses 12 and 21. I just don't read the whole thing. Um, So consequently, and what he's been talking about is how through Adam, death showed up into the human story and how through Christ, there's this explosion of grace that always seems to catch up and dwarf death. Right? The life of Christ always seems to catch up and over, overtake, not just keep up with, but overtake the, the death that Adam brought. So he said that. So consequently, just as condemnation for all people came through one transgression, so too through the one righteous act came righteousness leading to life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of one man many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man many will be made righteous. Now the law came in so that the transgression may increase, But where sin increased, grace multiplied all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Again, this is super dense stuff. Essentially what it's saying is that, hey, before the law happened, you know, which is a chunk of the Old Testament and a hefty read, an important read, Before that existed, there was sin, but it wasn't measured. Right? There was sin, but it wasn't measured. So God brings the law so we get a sense 
of how we get we we can we get a sense. And this is the idea: the law came so that so that sin would increase. No, not so that it would increase. That we would that we would see how big an issue this is. How in, in what our ability, our inability to measure up in this capacity is right. And that happened through this 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 story in in Eden where we basically flaunt our freedom and choose the one restriction that God has put on us, right? So all of a sudden we go to this, like it's, it's, it's this forest full of weeds in the law. And what the text is saying here is that what Jesus did is when he came and he did what he did, all of a sudden there was an invitation and there was grace that was sufficient that it would always increase. It would always be more than the curse. Always be more than the sin. Right? And he goes on to say, don't let this be license for you to go do whatever you want to do. You've missed the point, if that's what you think is I'm talking about here. Right? But he's saying there's always more grace. In other words, for, for Lady Justice, it's always going like this. The scales are always bottoming out on the side of justice. Like our metaphor breaks when we apply it to God because he's always tipping the scales in the favor of grace. That's what this passage is talking about. If we receive him, if we receive it, if we step into his invitation, right? Is that just that God doesn't care about righteousness? That he's Because this is the thing we can drift into, that he doesn't care about sin. He doesn't care about brokenness. He's just got it covered. He's like a daddy who'll just write the check for whatever, whatever debt we incur, right? So let's go live it up. Like that, that's not what this is being, that's not what's being talked about here. This is not to say that he doesn't care, but it is to say that there's some other, there's some other backbone in God's understanding of justice that runs deeper than our sense of fairness. Because that, that does not hold up in my mind. Jesus doing what he did, that was not fair. That was a, that was a stepping in and taking a, taking a consequence, owning something that belonged to someone else, right? Which is beautiful, but it's not fair. I want to introduce a different idea, a different definition of justice as we see reflected in the cross and Jesus' act on the cross and the crucifixion itself. I want to suggest that it is God's right action, justice is this, God's right action within the context of God's love for the world, his relationship for the world. That, that when we talk about rivers of justice flowing, we're not just ta- talking about a balancing of skills. We're talking about God's intentions, fully one-sided being realized. It's God's dreams and desires being realized. And he, and, and they're so beautiful and so compelling that he has done it. He has made a way. He has, he has done the right thing, the most right thing. And so justice lies in the heart of God. Right? Not the shape of our society. 
And when we try to take the shape of our society and superimpose it over the work of God, we, we, we get into the mud. I think we can get angry with him. Unnecessarily sometimes. We're rolling down here. Jesus said this in John, John 12, verses 23 to 33. The time has come for the Son of Man, for him, to be glorified. I tell you the solemn truth. Unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. The one who loves his life destroys it, and the one who hates his life in this world guards it for eternal life. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me, And where I am, my servant will be too. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now my soul is greatly distressed. And what should I say? Father, deliver me from this hour? No. But for this very reason, I have come. I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven. I have glorified it. And I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard the voice said that it had thundered. Others said that an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, The voice has come not for my benefit, but for yours. Now is the judgment of the earth. Now the rulers of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And he said this to indicate clearly what kind of death he was going to die. I want to I want to land in two places here. When we think of the glory of God, we sometimes turn it into a science fiction novel or a fantasy novel, like the throne room that we have in Revelation, right? Or some of us who are from a certain background, church backgrounds, if I talk about Shekinah glory, you know, there might be images of a cloud coming into the room during worship or, you know, and I mean, hey, I, I don't doubt that that stuff has happened, right? And it certainly, it certainly reflects what we see in the Old Testament with regards to the temple and what happens there. So again, I'm not knocking it. But I am saying that here, Jesus describes his glory as being actually reflected on the cross, Like he doesn't actually point to the glory being in the resurrection. It's interesting. Right? When I'm lifted up, he's talking about the way that he dies. That there's glory in what he's doing in that space. That there's something that's revealed to him. And that there's an invitation to everybody in that space. That he will call, he's, pardon me, he's calling, he's calling all to him when he's lifted up. And I think that the reflection of the heart of God in that space and what it means for for justice and what the cross has to has to say about it if we're not careful we can make god at war with himself right like god you know there's a tagline that talks about this it's sort of tongue in cheek right god so hated the world that he killed his only son that whoever might believe in him right there's a version of this that's, that's pretty bleak, 
where God is hanging with a sword over the earth and Jesus intervenes and takes the blow and God is beating on his own son and he's protecting us from the wrath of God. And this is what a broken understanding of justice might, might cause us to imagine is taking place. God is not at war with himself on the cross. This is not what is taking place. There's glory on that place. The heart of God on full display is in the crucifixion. So I think he may be at war with our sense of justice, but the justice of God is it's not in tension with the love of God. Right? The cross says this, and we're going to close this way. It's 11, it's, it's 11.30. The scales are ever tipped in your favor. Because Christ's intentions, the dreams of God for this world, are at the center of his work, not fairness. He's not trying to make this a fair place. He's trying to make this a good place. He's trying... New creation. Not balance. Overwhelmingly grace. Overwhelmingly goodness. Right? This is not yin and yang. This is a very different story. An extravagant grace that covers over all of the eternal consequences of our brokenness, of our sin. I don't know that I've succeeded in redefining justice. Yeah. Yeah. I think that in the sense of if it leads us closer in our practice to uh, I'll just repeat because if anyone's listening so is there a place any is there a place in our language as followers of Jesus for the word fairness I I think that if it compels us to to enact treating others the way I want to be treated super helpful right and I think that in terms of like having a society that takes care of the poor and all these sorts of things, it's still a helpful tool that way. But I don't know that it's a helpful language in terms of the way that I understand God's interaction with me, the, the transaction on the cross specifically, or even my expectations. Because my expectations are not that I've ever paid, like I've got, like all of us, right? I've been through some very painful things. And on the other side of it, one of the greatest graces that was ever given to me was the Lord saying, essentially, don't think you've paid your dues, kid. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's harsh if, if fairness is the promise. It's not harsh if love and grace and abundant life is the promise. And in my now, not everyone can say this, but my experience would be that when I have set my sights on the on abundant life and allowed God to define what that is, rather than material kind of things or whatever, um, that that has been a very strong lifeline in sorrow, like on, like you know, and some ongoing sorrow, some ongoing pain, when the tether is when I'm looking for abundant life rather than fairness. Uh, that feels very secure. I've never experienced that in an insecure way, personally. 
That's my, that's, that would be my personal testimony. Now, I could bring other people up who I know who have been through similarly difficult things, and they might say something different. But, yeah. So, I don't, is that helpful? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the comment is, is in regards to when Jesus saw injustice around him, he responded to that and called it out, which is true. Um, I would still suggest that there's something, again, in terms of our framework, um, I, I think that there's a, rather than a call to fairness, I think there, I, what I see is a call to new creation, right? And it looks the same. Like, it, it's helpful. It's a helpful way for us to understand how we interact with other people. But it's different. If we're just trying to bring everyone to the same level of mediocrity, or sorry, that was cynical, but everyone to the same level, right, that's going to establish a certain kind of peace. But I think that might have a little bit more to do with like what I would call the peace of Rome, like an enforced kind of a thing. And there's, we need that in society. I've got no problem with that. But I think that the call for Jesus, I think that he's calling forth new creation rather than fairness. And some, at some point, maybe soon actually, the new creation conversation is a really important one for us to have because that's the call. The call is not to some disru- like removed place after we die in heaven. The call is to new creation in eternal life, which is a different story. And that's what, so when we go out and we enact and we, that's the difference between a social justice warrior and, and, Right? Who can be any, I mean, we, we can all be compelled into good activity or, or, or creating more fairness in the world. But I think that when Christ is compelling us in like the work of the kingdom, it points, it points to new creation, which is a far bigger, better, more beautiful vision of human flourishing than simply a place where, it's, where there's less unfairness. Does that make sense? Anyway, that's great. We can have more conversation about it later. I do want to kind of wrap us because we've gone a bit over, but really good questions. Um, if there's anything that's been glaringly wrong, you can tell me about it later, and I'll apologize next week. I won't be here, so I'll tell. <laughs> anyway. Lord, we just uh, give you this conversation, and it is a conversation, and, and I thank you, Lord, that we are able to, uh, to do that. It doesn't have to all be answers all the time, but it can be a good dialogue. God, we ask that you would lead us in the ways of truth. God, we want to be just. We want to be just people. Um, But Lord, we do want to be tethered to your vision, not to ours. And we want to be able to receive your grace. And Lord, where where we have been addicted to fairness or where fairness has been our way of understanding goodness, God, I, I pray that you would that you would reveal to us a different way where we can still encounter the fullness of your invitation, which I believe is there, even in unfair situations. God, that we would, that we would not be restricted by that unfairness, but that we would seek you in it and find you, and that your promises would flourish and grow and be strong in those places, even in those places where we know it's not right. We know that this is unjust. God, your promises are not weakened in those places. I believe that. And I call that, speak that into every heart. God's promises are not weaker because something is not fair in your life. That is a lie from the pit of hell. I'm going to get evangelical on you here. That is a lie. And God, by the power of your spirit, break it. Because you're, your promises flourish 
in our difficulty and in our blessing.